it started with me and Raymond and then uh, the fabulous Rougeau brothers and Jimmy Hart became our manager. We did four years, a four-year four year run, and, uh, and my brother Raymond retired. He didn't want to wrestle anymore. And uh, I was at the prime of my career. And, and uh, so I went home and uh, I had a son. My wife had a son. And the uh, next thing you know, a year later, uh, I get a phone call and it's Vince McMahon calling me up and saying, Jacques, I want you to become the Mountie. I'm saying, what? And then he says, you're going to be, become a police uh, law enforcement officer. We have the big boss man in the United States, and we're going to do a giant feud against the Canadian cop and the American cop. And it started, uh, it was so wild and blurry when I first started the character. And, and then as we went along, I kind of find myself comfortable in the, in the position. Till a couple of years later, we end up in Madison Square Gardens with a blow-off match, with a jailhouse match, where uh, uh, if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you've heard of it, uh, where the losers spend the night in the New York's precinct. And, uh, and I heard it so much, signing autographs around the world, that people tell me, Oh, Jacques, that was so funny. At the end, when the big, giant, gay guy uh, kind of looked at you, and, and that moment of, of all what they did around that evening at Madison Square Gardens, from me being locked up in the, in the truck uh, and thrown out of the fifth floor of the uh, Madison Square Gardens to between every match as they were going back to the segment, or Mean Gene Okerlund and, and Gorilla Monsoon were saying, uh, let's go back to the precinct and see how the Mountie's doing. And then there were segments going on like that and it was just amazing, the uh, the interest that, uh, and Big Boss Man, uh, Lord save his, his soul, he was, people didn't have a chance to know Big Boss Man, Ray Trailer, as I did because I traveled with him around the world and I gotta tell you today, he's, uh, He's the kindest person you'd ever want to meet. He's got class, he's got, uh, he, he's a great, he was a great person. And anyway, long story short is uh, the Mountie, uh, the Mountie came upon like that and, uh, and what a great, great character. I, I owe that to Vince McMahon. Welcome back. New Blood Rising podcast. Back in our series of Perfect Tens. A really interesting special episode. This is where we really are going to test the metal of Perfect Ten and hopefully take it into a new direction here. Uh, I'm William Rinkin, joined by a special guest today. He's been a fan of the show for a long time, and he has given us some of the best anecdotes through some of our seasons where we've been, especially in our season three with ECW. I'm proud to bring on Dan Rackley. Dan, how are you, sir? Very good, very good. Uh, no, I did not win a contest. I was invited. <laughs> right. I, I I hadn't brought it up yet, but I was like, man, I don't think anybody's feuded with my, with Mark Madden better than Dan Rackley because those are always what I look forward to. Like, uh oh, he because because Madden's one of those dudes. He he knows when his name is mentioned on I, social I, media. <laughs> I know. I I I don't get it. It's like. It's like I, I I didn't follow him until <clears throat> until recently. I didn't anything. He doesn't follow me. He's just this vanity searching bastard that anytime somebody types something about him, like wait, if you're so successful and you're such a you know highfalutin broadcaster from you know Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you know why are you going back and forth with you know little old me? <laughs> it was. It was funny, like, because it was funny. I was like, oh, Dan's goading him again. He's going to bring out the, he's going to call him, a, and he's going to come out and answer it. Here it comes. And sure enough, 
he would he would have some some smart remark about her or whatever. And then, oh, I know. It's like it's it's like if I say his name more than three times, he he just pops up like the Candyman. <laughs> and what's you know what's funny is like you know during that run, like I mean, definitely in season one, some of some of like Madness Swing, he's he is throwing ninety nine the entire time out there trying to trying his hardest to try and get something over on commentary. And it's, it's hard. Cause it's a tough time. There were definitely a lot of misses. I, I give him credit for trying to be Bobby Heenan in a time where there was no Bobby Heenan at the same time. Like it definitely fell short, but it is funny. Like how, just how sometimes he, he has, uh, he has a way of defending it in this way where it's like, Hey man, just take an L on a lot of it. Just take an L it's okay. It's cool, man. And 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 the more ridiculous thing is, is when they hired Mark Madden, they had Bobby Heenan, and they fired Bobby Heenan because they didn't have anything for Bobby Heenan to do. Season one, man, that was a wild, that was a wild time for on a lot of fronts. That's for and, sure. And 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 here's the thing: a lot of the, a lot of the end of World Championship Wrestling that you guys covered in season one. I got to see mostly uh, the pay-per-views as much, mostly live as they happened, because a good friend of mine at the time had a a digital cable box when not a lot of people had them, and the guy that installed it forgot to turn on the little gizmo that charges you when you order pay-per-views. Oh, wow. Nice. We abused that for at least 10 months. (laughs) Then somebody figure out... Well, yeah, actually, the uh, every digital cable box in town, start, their, the, the clock started running backwards like a Twilight Zone episode, and they had to replace every single one of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, yeah, that, that time where Sting didn't come out, and then he came out, and then somebody laid down, and then they went to the back, and, you know, everything, you know, the, the, the triple dome of terror with, you know, former WCW world heavyweight champion, David Arquette. And I have to hold my nose every time I say that, that the, the whole Canyon, the Canyon being murdered by Mike awesome by being thrown from a three-story building onto a series of wooden planks. It makes you wonder like how I, cause I'll tell you, I'm really excited for money in the bank because I was like, they're going to fight through a building to the roof. Awesome. Let's see I, how. Yeah. Let's see what I, I happens loved, with this. I loved the movie Rat Race, and I loved the Belko <laughs> experiment. It's the best of both worlds, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> the only thing we need to have in it is have you know Michael Rooker is you know like a mystery opponent, you know, like trying to kill people, you know, with like chairs or something like that. Yeah, that 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 could really be a good time. I know it looks like crazy on paper, but. The way they pulled off a couple of those things at Mania with with Boneyard and with Firehouse or Fire Fun Fire the, Jesus the, the, Christ the 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 the, the Firefuck Funhouse or whatever whatever yeah that that thing yeah and and they came off really well so it's like cool do more of this so we'll see what happens with it but yeah do more of the crazy pre-tape stuff and less of the Last Man Standing match right exactly yeah I totally agree. Which is funny then, like, so the transition, and so, like, it, <laughs> I'm, I am excited for this pick. And the reason why is because we were talking off air, and a perfect 10 to somebody a lot of times is going to be, that was a showcase of athleticism. That, uh, that, that's like watching, watching something mythical happen in the ring. 
yeah, that that can be a perfect 10, like in terms of a Meltzer rating and all this stuff that we have with rankings. But there's a flip side to a perfect 10 as well. A perfect 10 can also be something that is really highly entertaining. Sometimes it pays off a storyline well. And just sometimes it's, it's just a wrestling angle that's well executed. Let's just let's just go ahead and say what it is. Today we are doing the jailhouse match between the big boss man and the Mountie from SummerSlam 91. Tell me why. It, go ahead and give me just a brief, brief, like kind of sentence or two about why you wanted to do this. Because it is probably the wrestling match that I have watched the most in my lifetime for various reasons. And I think it is a great um, encapsulation of what professional wrestling is. If you had to show somebody that has never seen wrestling before, what wrestling is, if you had to explain it to them in a, say, 20 minutes. That's interesting. And and, and I, I think it's interesting because a lot of times there are a lot of people that would answer that question. What is wrestling? Well, they'll show they'll show steamboat they'll show flair they'll show one of those matches where it's like look at this again showcase of athleticism but the thing is wrestling is not just that that's where like that balance of entertainment and in the and in ring style really is this, this this interesting marriage where you know it's sometimes one outweighs the other but there's always that second part that's present and i think it's interesting here because this is a this is a like if you just looked at the in ring decent match nothing probably spectacular in ring yeah, it's, it's so it's, much. Yeah, yeah, it's probably a match that they've. It's probably the actual bell to bell match itself is probably something they did on like house show loops for like you know two months beforehand. They probably could have done that particular match in their sleep. Yeah, and the cool and that's a cool thing. Both guys are coming out of. It's interesting where where these guys are at in '91. I guess let's kind of talk about it here. So, the boss man is. I, I was thinking about this, Dan, and I want to see what you think. I think Bossman arguably was number two babyface in the company. If you have Warrior and Hogan, or Hogan Warriors like one A one B, Bossman's got to be solid number two. Do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you take out um, in term, yeah, in terms of singles competitors, yeah, because you know what Randy had just finished up for a while at you know at um, WrestleMania seven, and then you had Hulk Hogan, you had you know Warrior who were you know basically one A and one B. And, you know, Brett, you know, as good of a wrestler as Brett was, Brett hadn't been, you know, really built up to be what he eventually became. And so, yeah, I would have to say that, you know, Big Bossman was definitely in that number two, number three spot. It's interesting, too, because like his feud, his feud for like his for predominantly late 90, 91 early is uh, is him against the Heenan family, just running roughshod through all of Bobby Heenan's guys just because he insulted, insulted his mom. <laughs> and, 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 and not only did he insult his mom, he kept insulting his mom. And then when he was done insulting his mom, he insulted his mom some more. And then when he was finished insulting his mom some more. He insulted his mother a little bit more. It was a never ending. There was never a moment for a couple of months where Bobby Heenan was, you know, on a microphone and Big Boss Man was on the screen where he wasn't saying something about that man's mother. I I, I eventually I I have to believe that at some point Ray Trailer got a phone call from his mother. He goes, Honey, is is Bobby firing live rounds at me like is he you, you better it, it, it could have gotten to it could have gotten dangerous for for heenan because you know all it you know you, you know 
if you talk to your mother, one wrong move, you know, can you know lead to certain danger for somebody that insults your mom a little too much. Yeah, I mean, and that's just ironic because, of course, years later, you have Bossman crashing Big Show's dad's funeral, and it's just it's just funny how how it kind of gets flipped in this really really terrible way. But it's it. But like I'll tell you, man, like what was interesting him in se- at WrestleMania Seven is like I, I I remember being so pumped for him against Mr. Perfect because I was like, okay, cool, Bossman is going to take the IC belt. This is going to be great, and he doesn't. He only wins by DQ, and they don't. And the feud ends really there. So it was always kind of anticlimactic that he never really got to finish off the Heenan family. And it's weird because like he's I, I, WrestleMania. It must I'm pretty sure it was in April or maybe it was it might have been March. Whatever, regardless. Late March, like, early April. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. He um he kind of is, is left it well it feels inevitable it's like you have him and then you have this other police officer who's clearly a heel like it seemed only logical and I think like in May is when they start doing the stuff but the Mountie so the, when does the Mount is the Mountie come in in ninety one or is it late ninety uh the Mountie comes in sometime after the Royal Rumble in ninety one I remember it being so weird because I immediately recognized him as Jacques Rougeau I'm like. Wait, I'm I, I, like, like I see him like in one of the pre-tapes where he's, you know, giving the business to like some, you know, guy that like littered or something, uh, you know, like he's ready to haul him in, you know, for, for a 20 year sentence for throwing a, you know, a big gulp cuff on the ground. And I'm like, wait, what happened to Jacques Rougeau? And as I established the head canon of the origin of the Mountie later in life, I think this may be where Sergeant Slaughter got the I want my country back from <laughs> later on in the year. Because if you remember, in 1989, the fabulous Rougeau brothers renounced their Canadian citizenship and announced that they were moving to, with, to Memphis, Tennessee with Jimmy Hart. And then when that all fizzled out, what appears to have happened, at least in my mind, is that Jacques Rougeau wanted to get back in the good graces of, you know, you know, the dominion of Canada so much that he became an ultra militant Royal Canadian mounted policeman, much in the same way that if you, you know, you know, smoke around somebody that just became a non-smoker, they're ultra militant about non-smoking. Or if somebody that, you know, is a vegan and you eat a hamburger near them, you know, they, Dude, th- this this is an incredible backstory on the Mountie. Like this, at is least far- that's the at least that's <laughs> the one that I at least that's the one. But because I remember during the brief period of time when when uh, my son was into wrestling when he was younger, about you know ten or twelve, and I put on the I put on a Madison Square Garden show, and the Mountie was on, and he asked me what's his deal. And I had to come up with something and I go, well, see, he was this wrestler named Jacques Rougeau and he got hit in the head really hard one time. And now he, when he woke up, he thought he was a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and nobody has the heart to tell him he isn't. <laughs> oh, that's even better. Cause like, I know like it was a big deal to, cause like in Canada, isn't it, isn't it a crime to, imper- it's a crime to, to, it is against, yeah, it is against the law to accept like in very scripted, like, like theatrical presentations. Like if you're, you know, doing like if you're filming a movie or, you know, something like that. But in, you know, what, you know, a live action demonstration, it was again, you know, it's against the law in many circumstances to impersonate a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And 
when the WWF would go to Canada, he would have to wrestle as Jacques Rougeau in a modified version of the Mountie gear. That's, that's right. why yeah. That, yeah. That, that that's why when the Quebecers came along in uh, late '92, early '93. They, they they changed the theme song to explicitly go, we're not the Mounties, wink, see? See, yeah. see? we're remember- not the Mounties. We assure you we are not the Mounties. <laughs> um, so it, and I'll, I'll tell you another thing, Dan, I was trying to remember is, I don't, I think he was sort of a guy like the Berserker where his finishing move, I, I kind of remember being just the cattle prod. He would just zap the guy when the ref wasn't looking and then pin him. But I may be wrong. That's just, that's this. That is just how I remember him dispatching a jobber. It's like he would just kind of wait for his moment and just zap him. Is did he have an actual finish? I really don't recall <laughs> that he did. All I re- all all I remember is he had the cattle prod, and then like later in '92, him and Jimmy Hart went to Costco and bought the really big cattle prod that you had to have the special case or it had the special case with the key that you had to open it or which you know it, and it made a you know louder noise but i never really remember him actually having a a proper finishing move i don't even think when he i think i don't even think when he beat brett for the intercontinental title that right, he just, did it with a finishing move you know it's like you, you know it's like he let a fever beat him yeah because I, I was trying because the one thing i remember is the he has he gets a I'm, when I say a push, you know, you know what I mean? Like he gets a decent little mid card push because he wins at Mania. I think he beats Tito, right? Uh, I believe he did. Yeah, because it's another one of those Bobby Heenan. Godly, it was so funny. He zaps him with the cattle prod in the gut. He's like, oh, he must have eaten a bad burrito or something. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's such a funny line. But it again, like it just seemed inevitable, like coming out of WrestleMania. It was like you and the boss man really should get together. And then. When I was listening like to just a brief interview with him talking about the character, he was like, it was pretty much pitched to him by Vince that like you we have the big boss man. We want to do this feud with uh, another opposing law enforcement officer. So this kind of seemed like the the mileage for the character because you're right about the Brett thing because like that's in January 92. But I don't remember how long he really lasts beyond that as the Mountie. Um. I know he lasted at least until around until somewhere around SummerSlam 92, because I remember watching the TV around the yeah, around the summer of 92, where he beat uh, Sergeant Slaughter on like a really, really awful primetime match. And when I say really awful, there's not much stuff that somebody will remember from when they were, you know, 11 years old especially when it comes to the amount of TV an 11-year-old watches. But the fact that I can remember how bad this random Sergeant Slaughter-Jacques Rougeau match was, it should say something. Yeah, I was looking it up briefly. Like, it really doesn't pop out immediately what this guy's finish was. No, it's really really elusive. It it, it doesn't. I mean, I... I, Guys, uh, you know, if you're listening... um, Right in, you know, right into the Twitter at New Blood, you know, New Blood Pod. Uh, did, did I get the address right? You got it. That's it. Okay, close enough. Um, yeah, it, you know, right into the, you know, the show's Twitter and tell us, you know, and provide, you know, video proof if you can what the Mounties finishing hold was because we're pretty sure he doesn't have one. Because I, I mean, the thing that I always remember the most was after the match, he would just keep beating on the guy. He would sometimes ha- handcuff him. He would definitely zap him some more, and it would get great heat. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, it's like after the match. Yeah, it's like after every match, you know, like he'd take you know, like Tom Stone or you know Dale Wolf handcuff him, and go. You're not going anywhere. I'm going to beat on you some more, eh? <laughs> and and it was great because finally, like I mean, it it and it's great because once it just seemed like Boss Man always had to feud with a manager in his group because he just transitions over to the Jimmy Hart group, and is it's if I'm not mistaken. Is this also where Tugboat gets turned into Typhoon? Isn't kind of in this? It was in somewhere around that time because I remember there was a battle royal on like a Saturday Night's Main event or something where Tugboat eliminates uh, Hogan. And which is really strange because, you know, Tugboat, you know, nine months before was, you know, telling all of us to write Hulk Hogan. Because, you know, folks, you know, Hogan doesn't have a lot, whole lot of time left. Uh, you know, as uh, OSW would say, uh, you know, um, you know, earthquake hit him with the big whoopsie on the Brother Love show. And, uh, you know, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty sure we might have to call a priest. So you might want to write in, you know, Tugboat was doing that nine months before. And now all of a sudden he's, you know, but yeah, I think that was around the time because that was because, uh, because Hart had Earthquake, uh, the Nasty Boys, and uh, and the Mountie, and yeah, because because remember that went spiraled into that whole thing. Like, I think it was like in the next six months, where Jimmy Hart's angle for like the next year was screw one tag team, screw one of his tag teams out of a title shot to give another tag team another title shot, and he continued. He got about a year and a half out of it. Yeah, that's right, because. Heart Foundation, WrestleMania Seven, that to give it to the Nasty Boys and all that, yeah, yeah. So like that's so it the summer build, it's it's great because I mean the, the ultimate moments are in the brief little um, highlights they give before or during the couple. Man, there's a ton of promos. I've never seen so many promos for a match before and after for one match in the middle of a card. But before one of them is when they show that brief highlight. It's it's the quintessential moment. It's when the boss man's handcuffed. He's getting zapped. The Mountie's got the mic, and he just keeps taunting him. The sound effects of the cattle prod are great. Like you really buy it. It's great. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, because here and and it's such, and like I said, we off air. It's such a simple story. Like you don't need it, it, there. There isn't a whole lot of setup. You got a guy that's a cop who's good. You got a guy that's a cop that's bad. You know, maybe he's you know you know. You know, Tunney's bag man when he's going in between, you know, payments for Ted DiBiase or something. And, you know, it's just the idea of it's such a simplistic, it's such a simplistic story that you really don't need a whole lot of buildup. Like, it's something that, that, that anybody can get in five minutes. And it's probably one of the reasons why I was so into this match growing up is because I watched it at such a young age. And it made so much sense right off the bat to to a ten year old child. And it's like, I mean, obviously it's not the match made in hell. It's not you know the match but, made in heaven. <laughs> no, it's it, but it feels like a really important match on this card, just based on just and I'll, it's so much credit to to Rujo pulling this off and getting just so much just nuclear heat oh, from the crowd. Yeah. And I mean the in the and the good thing about the boss man is he's such a high energy big guy that like his promos sort of like in his own way like warrior like at a ten almost every time the promo starts to when it ends he's at a ten, but then can also go like a champ out there and it's oh God yeah I think it was around this time that you know the 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 boss man lost a. 
decent amount of weight from what he was at when he came in in 88. Yeah. And his, his, and I mean, even for a big guy, his agility was always amazing. It was that agility that got him beyond being a, you know, being a, you know, a job guy on, on NWA TV when he, when, when he was able to get up on his own for Tully Blanchard slingshot suplex. Yeah. And then like, you know, the other thing that I think is interesting here is like, if you don't have this as a jailhouse match, so we got to mention the gimmick here in a minute, but if you don't have the gimmick attached to them, this still would be like a, a, a match you would look forward to. The fact that they took it to the next level and they're like, okay, the loser of this has to go spend a night in a New York City jail. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's <laughs> and, and, do it. And let's stress, folks, this is a New York City jail in 1991. Right. <laughs> That's the other thing I was going to mention. That's the other thing, like, I, as a kid, oh, totally over my head. But looking back on this recently, and especially for this episode, I was like, oh, man, that, that can't be good at all. That can't be good at oh, all. God. No, no, no. It's like going up, having to go up to the fourth floor on Parks and Rec. It's something you just don't want to do. <laughs> right, right. So, Dan, tell me, like, so get a little bit more, like, I, what is your personal connection to this match? You've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I'd like to hear, like, when you first saw this, like, the impact it had on you. And, and I, I guess a little bit more into the legacy of it for you and why this is something that stuck with you. Well, um, I first saw this match the night it aired. Uh, I went to a, a friend's house. Um, uh, the town I lived in at the time had a, a decent-sized military base, and so, you know, people that worked with other people would have, um, like, they would have, like, a little party. You know, like, you pay, like, two bucks, come over, every, watch the pay-per-view, bring your kids. So there was about 15 people over watching this from beginning to end, which, when you look at it, it's kind of funny because you have basically 15 guys and their kids all, you know, watching a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like I said, I've seen, and then about a couple of months, and then a couple of months after I first saw this match, somehow I got a copy of the, uh, the tape, you know, somebody recorded it off the pay-per-view. I got a copy of the tape and the town that I lived in, in Michigan, didn't exactly have a whole lot of traffic coming and going in terms of WCW tapes, WWF tapes, you know, nothing like that. And, you know, you, at the time, uh, I don't know if you remember that at the time, like WWF tapes were still relatively expensive to purchase. So yeah. you kind of yeah. watched what you taped off a of TV and stuff. People got to you every once in a while. So this, this, uh, so SummerSlam 91 as a whole, I have probably watched more than any other show, you know, even after having the network, after having access to tapes, you know, just because it was one of the tapes that I had on hand. And um, you asked about, you know, the personal legacy for me as far as this, as far as this match. The simplicity of the match, I think, is what makes it a complete perfect 10. Because back in the old days, uh, like in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, you know, before TV, they had to be, you know, promoters, local promoters had to be really creative with how they got people to the buildings. Because you couldn't always have the world heavyweight champion. You couldn't always get Luthez or Buddy Rogers, you know, on your, you know, show in, you know, you know, El Paso, Texas, or Houston, for example. And... So you would have to go for and say, okay, you know, this Thursday night, William Rankin 
is going to, you know, wrestle Dan Rackley and, you know, the loser has to eat a can of dog food. What was your what was your working name, by the way? Um, I always either used uh, Lucas Dominicus or <laughs> on the it was something that uh, the Sheik's the, 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 the son gave me that name. And basically the, the quick sidetrack here. The whole idea was that I was my the whole idea I came up with I was I wanted to be more than anything in the world when I got into the wrestling business I wanted to be the Dollar Tree version of the Sinister Minister. Wow, man! To the point where when I needed to buy the uh, the the shirt with the collar, I actually went to a Catholic supply store <laughs> and didn't feel comfortable telling them what I was getting the shirt for. So I conjured up a lie to buy a sh- priest outfit from a Catholic supply store. That's awesome. I I'll, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> my uh, my working name. I, I worked for about two years, and I was Mister Showtime. That was what I. That's I. That, I wanted to do so. I because I had been reading Mick's book and like the way he came up with Dude Love, and I was yeah. like, I wanted to do something like that. And so I was all of like, you know, I was like only like I was. Was I, I was 21 years old. I only weighed like maybe 140 pounds and I, I would literally just wear my jeans and, and a belt like because I was like DDP and I was like, <laughs> OK, cool. And I would um, I I never thought like I would be a heel. I, of course, everybody wants like, when you're young, you want to be the baby face. You know, you. And, and, yeah. Yeah. And so when I got positioned as a heel, I was like, oh, OK. And I just came out. I, I had a framed picture of myself that I would reference and promos and it would be fun i mean like the best compliment i ever got i think scott demore and some other dude when there was tna they were in there and he was complimentary of my charisma i was not going anywhere i mean let no no delusions of grandeur it was like so, come on, so, hey. so, so 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 that feud with the movie channel didn't quite draw as much <laughs> i i was trying to think of like i my best I was trying to remember what like my, my best feud was I mean like I, I'll never forget that first match because it was it was so choreographed we knew every single move it was from A to Z it was like a Randy Savage match where like you know everything yeah and I and then I learned afterwards it's like oh yeah man that's not how you really do a match like at all it's like really like you go out there and you 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 sometimes just kind of call it in the ring it's like yeah that's exactly what we do it's like oh wow uh, I don't know if I can do this <laughs> I'm just gonna go, <laughs> I'm gonna go talk about this for the rest of my life is what I'll do. But no, it was it was a good time. The the promotion didn't last long and things just kind of changed from there. But um yeah, that I, I I don't know how we got sidetracked, but it was fun to get sidetracked talking about working a little bit. So um uh all right, before we get into the match, let's take a quick break. Let's hear from our sponsor who is Anchor. Let's hear from them, and then we're back with Bossman versus Bounty Jailhouse match. Hey, this is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you're listening to the New World Rise. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're back. So, Dan, let's get into this. We're oh, Madison God, Square Garden. I, I have been, I have been <laughs> waiting a long time to talk in a live microphone about this match. Oh, boy. Man, I, I'll tell you, your expectations are, are really high. That's good. This is, you're like, yeah, man, I've, I've been waiting for this. Let, let, let's see if it's the match I remember when I was 10. <laughs> so, um, this is on like what about mid is this this happened in terms of the order of the card 
Where does this drop? Because it has to drop fairly early because they have all the vignettes, which are obviously are connected to this match. It's after. I can't believe I'm pulling this out from memory, folks. I'm not even. I'm not looking this up on Google. Uh, this is directly after the Virgil Ted DiBiase match for the Million Dollar Championship. Oh my God, dude, that match is so good. Oh, that is a yeah. great match. I just. I don't mean to get loud on that one, but. That is such a, and it's all Piper. It's all Piper that makes that thing work. But anyway, in what a way to follow that. Like, not often do you have like two big feuds back to back having their their payoff match. But well, you, you had to, here. yeah. I mean, you had to get all the matches in, you know, all yeah. the good stuff in early, you know, in case you know, because you didn't want to have to tell the wedding. Okay, guys, uh, you had fifteen minutes for the wedding. Um, now you got eight. <laughs> yeah, how you might want to get through the... them vows pretty yeah. quick there, Randall. Yeah, Randy, you're going to have to really, like, you're going to have to, can't be stretching them out that. Ugh, nope, no, nope, no, nope. we can't, can't afford it tonight, brother. Um, okay. Yeah, Rand, Randy, you got to go from, uh, you know, a Tahitian getaway to her father <laughs> is standing behind you with a shotgun. <laughs> and go. All right, so let's do this match. I mean, walk, walk us through the jailhouse match. Okay, uh, earlier in the uh, yeah earlier in the show we were talking about you know the the buildup, and that's the great thing about some of the earlier WWF pay per views is they would provide you with a you know, little encapsulation of why these two are fighting. So they throw to they throw to the uh, uh, video of. Mountie and the Nasty Boys beating the living hell out of uh, Boss Man. And then they throw to the back where the Mountie is standing in front of a New York City police van with three New York City cops and Okerlund uh, is interviewing him. And, he, and the Mountie starts telling the um, the New York City cops that, uh, and I'll try to do this as best I can here, uh, when the Boss Man loses... I don't want you to treat him the New York City style. I want you to give him the Mountie way of justice and starts telling them to basically go all I can't breathe on the big boss man when the Mountie wins. <laughs> it really is. You're right. The look on their faces is the they, best. They look like 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 the guy like the guy directly behind the Mountie is all is sitting there like. Eh, he's not really registering. The guy behind the there's a gentleman uh, in the middle who's not. And then there's like the short little guy that looks like you know Dennis Franz's non-union Mexican equivalent, who is kind of smirking because the Mountie's looking directly at him and saying, "It'll be your job to shackle his ankles, make sure he doesn't run away, and then take him to that local hick New York caboose house." And then that's where you know where they throw in, and then if I remember right, there was a boss man promo after, where, you know, like you said, he came out, he's on the microphone with a house like a house of fire, saying, you know, you're gonna tell the New York City police how to treat me. What you should be doing is getting down on your hands and knees, you know, praying to God that you make it through to tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> and the part like I have to remind myself, so it's like he was a real like corrections officer, so like he's legit. When it yeah. comes to like the gimmick, so yeah. Which, 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 by the way, before we actually get into the meat of the match, um, they, I mean, I mean, assuming this whole world is real, what is the loser of the match getting charged with? Right. That's, <laughs> I, yeah. That's 
That's a good question. That's a really good question. I, I mean, do they just say like disorderly conduct or or the cop goes, you know what? I smelled a little bit of vodka on him. Uh, and it sounds like he's got car keys in his hand. Uh, why don't we just say drunk driving? By the way, I have this image of Jacques Rougeau with a notepad inside of a car just listening to how Mounties talk. He's like, Caboose House. Caboose <laughs> underlining, <time>. underlining it. <laughs> and, there's, and, and, there, and there's six O's. <laughs> Oh, and, so, and, 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 yeah. and and like the whole ride and like like on the ride to the garden he's like jimmy should i say it like caboose house or should i go caboose house yeah baby yeah that's right baby beans and taters say caboose house everything will be great baby <laughs> and he's saying it all through the megaphone right next to him just so he can <laughs> and, and, and and at least on this show this wasn't like the 88 rumble do you remember that fan that had the megaphone in the front row. Oh yes, that's right. <laughs> that, 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 that it was, he was giving poor gorilla monsoon, like, you know, pre pattern, <laughs> you know, baldness, from how upset he was getting like, you know, somebody should really get that damn thing away from that fan. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. That's, <laughs> and, and that's what I, I kept thinking about it. Cause I had thought about it in a bit. It was like, I wonder what that was like for the live experience, having Jimmy Hart, on that the entire time you're watching a match inside of like live you know when you're there in the arena i was because because i'll tell you man like that guy keeps working he never stops working that entire match working through that megaphone oh god yeah and that's one of the reasons why you know he's you know to this day still you know still works for hogan i think you know running you know uh, you know i'll have to take a drive down to clearwater you know once you know the world gets back to normal and you know, see if the beach shop's still open and see if that restaurant, see if the second restaurant they opened is, is open again. I can only imagine the food is just as good as the first Hogan's restaurant. <laughs> because if it was anything like the first, because if it was anything like the Hogan restaurant that they had in the hotel, my, that's as good as 10 pasta manias, I think. <laughs> <laughs> So Dan, take us. We got the two promos. So now, when this thing, when this thing starts, all right, walk us through. Oh, boss man, like Mountie, 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 Mountie comes down. He's got the shock stick. Jimmy Hart's going back and forth on the megaphone like he always does, and the big boss man's very iconic music hits, and the garden for all intents and purposes explodes. They want to see the big boss man beat the crap out of this no good son of a bitch and he sprints and i mean ultimate warrior sprints down to the ring and they have a brief stare down and like we said earlier the match is the the, the match itself is probably a match they've done you know a hundred times but the one of the and one of the all-stars, one of the main components of this match is the commentary because you have Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan, and Roddy Piper, who is still fresh off of his, you know, tour de force in the Virgil uh, Ted DiBiase match, basically making every jail joke they can. <laughs> yes, yeah. and it, it's glorious hearing. The half Piper is a foil for Heenan. It's great. Oh, except for what, the, yeah, because there was, because it was, uh, you know, hey, you know, because there was one where where, uh, where a boss man 
uh, was getting, you know, beat down by the Mountie and and he then just goes, hey, come on, boss, man, wake up. It's 5 a.m. You know, here, here's your cup of coffee and your one cigarette. <laughs> and then without missing a beat, Piper just goes, oh, so you know what time they get up in the pokey there, don't you, Boobsy? <laughs> oh, and by the way, that's another thing. This whole show, for some reason, Piper just kept calling him Boobsy. Yeah, and it's so funny. Yeah. At, so, at one point... There was a moment where I was legitimately fearful uh, for Bobby Heenan's safety because we we all know Piper's, you know, got mommy and daddy issues. Oh, my God, dude. Are you talking about in the Brett match where Brett and Perfect where he's like, yeah, I think that's where he drops a couple of those and Gorilla and Gorilla steps in there and it sounds like it's kayfabe, but it kind of doesn't. Where he's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I remember right there, there was one point during during our match where where Heenan says something about about he, about his you know about you know would, would, would you know about boss man's parents were you know so you know ashamed of him that they packed up and left home or something like that and then he, he says to Piper but oh you didn't have to worry about that did you Roddy and then there's this <laughs> brief second of silence like deathly funeral home silence and then you just hear Piper just uncharacteristically for the whole from the whole rest of the night go it's kind of stiff there bobes <laughs> and, and, and 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 like you could like almost picture gorilla monsoon you know like you know getting like a knife out like just in case you know <laughs> piper has like a falling down moment or something it's like that scene in tombstone where like kurt russell's got the shotgun underneath the the, the table he's just ready he's like all right if this thing's gonna go i've got this right here underneath it's like it's like you yeah it's like yeah like you could almost picture like you know Gorilla Monsoon is you know like you know Dan Doherty on Deadwood like you know waiting for Al Swearingen to give the word <laughs> that yeah. he has to sneak up behind somebody and cut their throat and feed them to the pigs, but but yeah the the um one one uh extremely athletic moment in this match um is the running the ropes. And then the Mountie uh, leapfrogs boss man. And as boss man is coming from the other side, Mountie leapfrogs him again without looking behind him. Yes. He's looking straight forward and just says bounce, beat, beat, and then bounce again. And it was the most amazing because you figure, you know, Jacques Rougeau, he's no cruiserweight. And he's no Andre the Giant, but he's still a fairly big guy. Yeah. And, you know, and especially, you know, with, you know, the big boss man who's, you know, a fairly big guy, too. You know, that's a hell of an, you know, amount of athleticism. Yeah. And you it, it's a combination of that because that one stuck out to me. And then, like, I, I forget how many times how quickly boss man could slide out of a ring and slide back into a ring. And it was just sort of like like you you, you it was never it was never like the the typical like oh just i'm gonna step out of the ring and take a few moments it's like no no like he has bounty on the ropes and then he slides out and goes right after jimmy hart and it's like man that is so fast he is so fast and then i always i forgot how much i used to love that move where he would slide out and then just pop the guy while they were on the ropes and then just go back in like and just run yeah and just come back in without doing nothing yeah and, uh, yeah like i said the, the 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 match itself it's no you know, we said before, it's not, you know, some Steamboat Flare, you know, 60-minute technical masterpiece. And it doesn't need to be. Uh, the finish, if I remember correctly, comes when um, there's some, you know, 
messed up interference and you know Mountie tries to hit him with the shock stick backfires and then he picks Mount- the finish of the match actually comes when uh boss man picks Mountie up for an Alabama slam yeah so it's weird like so early in the match Mountie goes for a pile driver and and it's really interesting cuz which is you're like oh my god why would you try to it's like one of those like why do you try an Irish whip the big show why would you try that yeah, well, like, yeah, and 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 poor Jacques Rougeau, he'd been trying out that Canadian destroyer spot on the house shows for weeks, <laughs> and just couldn't do it on when it counted. And so, like, it's funny because like he he tries to pick him up, and Boss Man immediately is almost like just puts his weight back down. He does it again, and then and then surprisingly, like the third try, he gets him up, and it's it's not a great pile driver, but it's a good enough pile driver. Bossman's cell is hilarious because he just kind of he pops up, he shakes his head, and then just collapses into it the just, ground. Down I go. And then like like this was a this blew my mind at the time because like you you know how the boss man finishes a match. It's a boss man slam. He hits Mountie with it, and the Mountie kicks out. Yeah. Which was like like this isn't this isn't like you know nineteen or this isn't two thousand one where like you know we're starting to kick out of everybody's finisher and we hit the finisher multiple times and it's like it was it really was kind of shocking and it's weird how kind of buried it gets uh, on commentary like it's not really mentioned it's like dude nobody kicked out of that at the time yeah. like once he hit that it's done but it, that's what makes it kind of neat is he he gets up and he's like he's keep he doesn't quite do the ultimate warrior like I need to go talk to the gods for a minute on the outside you know. <laughs> You know, he just had to go talk to his immediate supervisor. <laughs> but it comes back to you, like, what is the Mountie's finish? Because the Mountie, once he regains the advantage, which, by the way, the cattle prop thing's great. It's one of the best camera, like, timing things ever where, like, it happens to fall right back down in front of where the camera is that's live. And so you're like, okay, well, Mountie tried the cattle prod. He doesn't have that. He kicked out of the boss man slam. What's he going to do? Yeah, fuck it. Let's pile drive him again. Let's see what happens there. And, 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 <laughs> and boss and boss man's like, nope, you only get one. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's like the Alabama slam. It's one. It's funny. It's like it's like when you would see the insiguri at this time, like they don't know what to call it. So they just call it like that karate kick to the head. You know, that's all. Or, they- or, or, or as Eric Bischoff would have called it, the uh, back leg front kick. <laughs> That's right. Um, but it's what's great is the the sound this move makes and the reaction from the crowd is like, oh, man, that was a finish. Like, oh, like when that Alabama slam happens. Yeah, that's it's a good finish to the match. It's a really good one. And the and 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 the, and the second the bell and the second the bell rings in the and and the mount and the they you know, announced, you know, Finkel, you know, God bless you, Fink, you know, announces, you know, that the big boss man had won. Those cops that had just been getting a brow beating from the Mountie not 20 minutes before, they make an ultimate warrior run down to the ring and start cuffing and start cuffing the Mountie. And Piper was great. He goes, oh, what's that? I don't want you to be nice. I don't want you to treat the loser, you know, kind of respectful, like the way the New York City, you know, police does. I want you to treat him like a. And Heenan is like, you know, like he's he he you know, it's like he's almost like you know, like the girlfriend from Midnight Express. He's you know just <laughs> concerned, like you know, like you know, like we're never going to see the Mountie again. Um, uh, oh, dear God, what is going to happen to that poor man? <laughs> and 
and and and so and and they follow the whole thing like all the way to the back. They go straight through the gorilla position, which, by the way, if you catch it, it's you can only see it for a brief second. You see Ricky Steamboat sitting yes. in his like street clothes, <laughs> looking like, like you almost expect to see a Nelson Muntz, haha you know, come out of him and they take him all the way, you know, like through the back, uh, put him in, put him in. Oh, and, and Jacques Rougeau is great with this because he is like kicking at the windows. He's screaming. You can't do this to me. I am a Mountie. You can't do, you can't do this. Don't do this to me, please. I beg you. And they take him and they, take him out through the exit ramp of the garden and you know they they close that segment of it by you know with heenan going we may never see the mountain again <laughs> almost like like you almost picture him saying lieutenant colonel henry blake's plane was shot down over the sea of japan it spun in there were no survivors with the way he goes we may never see the mountain again can you and, imagine if that would have been it if that was the last we saw of the mountain that would have oh, been awesome. It still would have just been great because it's the it's the what I call the Blair Witch principle. Um, you never actually if you watch the Blair Witch project, you never actually see what the Blair Witch looks like. So some people, it may be some little, you know, four foot tall, you know, lady. Yeah. The others, it may be an eight foot tall monster, you know, like Krampus or some shit. Right. Right. Yeah. But that's what so what's good about this then is the fact that we get to come back to this throughout the rest of the night. <laughs> oh, 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 this, oh, this whole angle is a is is a sack full of but wait, there's more. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think for first next we have a boss man gets an, an exit promo or like an after the match promo yeah. where he, uh, it's <laughs> I, I love how he sets up Mooney for the jokes. I, I want to know if he I told him before. It's like, I'm going to set you up for a joke. Just kind of go with it. I just love the what kind of bird came flying. He's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Ray. Jailbird. <laughs> it's so funny. He doesn't even <laughs> let Mooney finish before he's already ready to give him the punchline. It's, it's, it's like you can almost picture like, you know, the boss man walking out of a 7-Eleven with like a, you know, like a popsicle. <laughs> like. What kind of bird can't fly? <laughs> Jailbird. <laughs> and then he takes the popsicle stick to Vince. Like, yeah, uh, in costume. He does all this in costume. In cost- it has to be yeah. in costume. Yeah. And uh, if I remember right, the next time we see, uh, I may get some of this out of order because there was a lot, like William said, there were a lot of video packages after the fact uh, to put this whole stipulation over. Um, the one I remember, they, they're bringing him up to the little thing where they take your picture when you get booked. And he's like, you can't do this to me. You're not taking my picture. You're not. And then you hear off screen, some lady go, yeah, so the boss man bit kicked your butt, huh? And then he looks (laughs) up and the picture they get is like him, like all wide eyed and whatnot. And, and they keep cutting back throughout the rest of the show. Uh, and one of them's the one where they have to take his fingerprints. That's and I, a, So, yeah, I think that's the – I can't remember – I think that's second. I think picture is first. So as a kid, this is great because this teaches you what happens when you go to – this gives you the sequence of events that happens when you get booked. Because I, I know they 
they bring him in, they do the picture, and I think the fingerprints are next. Yeah, where he, yeah, yeah, yeah where they're saying, you know, you know, come on, man, you got to give us your finger. You want the finger? There's the finger, and then they grab <laughs> his outstretched middle finger and place it down on the ink pad, ink pad about two or three times, and uh, they're not very gentle with the Mountie. Let's put it that way. They're 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 the the, the whoever the cops were that got hired to they're having a grand old time uh, displaying the stereotype of the uh, violent police officer, and. I can't remember if it's in the middle of one of these, but there was one point where they're basically dragging the Mountie uh, in, like, I think he had leg and arms. I can't remember if he had both, but where he just finally, he straightens up and he calms down and he goes, okay, okay, right. you guys right. win. I'll walk. And then he takes about a step and a half and turns and tries to run for the closed jail <laughs> and they start running it's like oh no you can no no get get back get back here sir you're go and the last couple of segments of this are definitely some stuff you couldn't do today no uh, because they put him in, they, they put him in what just looked like a holding cell that you would put like, you know, like drunks or people waiting to be arraigned or something like that. And he's beaten on the bars. He's causing all kind of a stink. There's drunks just sleeping all over the place. And all of a sudden this homeless guy comes up to him or a homeless guy or a drunk or something comes up to him while he's screaming at the top of his lungs. You got to let me out here. I am the Mountie. And he goes, Shh. and the Mountie looks at him and goes, get the hell out of here. And then he comes back. He goes, you want to fight me, buddy? There's me buddy. And this guy. Okay. How do I? Okay. A, I'm just going to say it the way it would have been said back then. An early 90s leather daddy walks up to Jacques Rougeau and just stares him down. And he just looks at him and goes, hi. <laughs> and then Jacques Rougeau has this look of horror upon his face and he just goes, oh, my God. And then the next thing you hear is, don't you just love the way leather feels against your body? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an all timer because all like all the stuff you're describing, like when I was rewatching it, I was like, I wonder how much he knew ahead of time was going to happen, or if this was like, we're gonna throw you in here, and you just have to react. Go, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's like, okay, we're gonna get the box of early '90s New York stereotypes and toss it into this jail cell, and uh, like you said, I'm pretty sure he knew something, but by the way he reacted. I'm pretty sure he. I'm pretty sure he assumed that this is the one inmate that was real. I I'm also wondering, like, does 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 Vince does Vince understand what what that means? Because you know, like, there's some things I know, like he he when they do some of these bits, like he's not in on it. That's why, like, he no. when when they're talking, it was it was it was Hardy and Jericho on their pod talking about the the final deletion or they're talking about the, 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 the Bray Wyatt match and everything they did at the compound. And Vince was like, I don't get this. I, I don't understand this <laughs> at all. And, uh, and he was like, maybe I am out of touch. And that's why I rewatched it. I was like, I wonder how much Vince is in on this one, you know? 
Oh, come, uh, one, one of the one, one of the one of his heels being severely humiliated in an increasingly more humiliated fashion. I'm pretty sure he wrote this more, t- more rewrote this oh, more yeah. times than he rewrote No Holds Barred. Oh yeah, let's go to the hotel, Terry. Let's write this jailhouse man. All right, it's gonna be a good um, time, pal. What do we? What can we really do to scare him? Let's get a guy <laughs> dressed head to toe in leather. Can you imagine how funny he must have thought that was? I bet you he thought that was the funniest thing of the entire night, was just watching Rougeau react to that guy. Oh, I, 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 I am pretty sure that Vince McMahon still has these segments on his phone, and when he's having like a bad day or something, he just turns on the, he, he just turns on the last couple of segments from the Jailhouse Match vignettes. I'm convinced of it. And what's what's interesting, and like, um, oh. Do you have what else? Do you have anything else to say, like on the match itself, the vignettes, anything before we move into kind of the post territory of this? Uh, the only thing I'd say is, is it at the time, it was one of the most uh, you know simple things you know that could be done. You have a uh, yeah. Oh, that was the thing I was gonna. How easy this match is to get for people. There is literally a guy wearing red and literally a guy wearing blue. It, it couldn't be it it, it, it couldn't be it, it's the most e- it's the easiest possible match to explain to somebody and to enjoy because it had a little it has a little bit of everything um it has you know pretty you know pretty solid you know pretty solid match but the post match the post match may be some of the best post match they ever did in that period of time yeah I, you know to to couple with what you're saying there like if if you're watching this with somebody who's never watched it before, they would be getting such a kick out of seeing this guy just get just get railroaded the entire rest of the night here. Getting in a in, manner of speaking. Right, exactly. <laughs> and and it would it would just be comical because there are a lot of people like, you know, the, the in-ring stuff just it's not gonna do it for them if they're a casual fan. It's sometimes it's stuff like this that can be really entertaining for people that aren't necessarily like hardcore. Big time wrestling fans that follow everything, know everything, know all the holds, everything like that. It's just funny. It's funny to see this type of thing happen, especially if you're if you even get to see that brief highlight in the promos and you're like, man, this guy sucks. I just want to see this guy lose and have to eat it. And yeah, yeah, it's such a payoff. Like that's that's the thing. Like this match is such a good payoff. This is a feud that starts like roughly in May. And when you're talking about a uh an era of time where there is no Monday, there is no Monday Night Raw. There really isn't any. There's no pay per view between WrestleMania and SummerSlam. It's like, yeah, man, we're gonna build this thing through vignettes, um, backstage promos, and superstars, and that's it. And, and there, there yeah. may have been a, there may have been something on a Saturday night's main event. Sure. And sure. you know, there may there may have been something on a prime time. And this is something, you know, like you said that. They had as as little amount of time to build this up, you know, in comparison to, you know, stuff that, you know, that has, say, you know, like a three month build these days. And they 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 used every inch of space that they could to build this thing up properly. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, when the mat when the match was over, people were happy about what they had just seen. You know, they weren't necessarily going Oh, um, okay. We're just going to give this one, uh, two and a half stars because, uh, you know, the, um, the, the cattle prawn didn't sound quite convincing and, uh, you know, <laughs> no, 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 no shit like that. 
And if, you know, if I'm ever on again, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do my thesis about why the star ratings are a bunch of horseshit <laughs> because you know, I'll just get into it now real quick. Uh, everybody that gives out about star ratings are parroting the opinions of one guy in California. <laughs> That's all they're doing. And the only reason that they're doing it is so they look cool in front of the other people who are also parroting the opinions of one guy in California. As far as I'm concerned, matches generally have two ratings, a one or a 10. Either you enjoyed it or you didn't. You may have just redefined the rest of the season's performance here as we go through and rank. like the rating of matches. Like it's can all, we, it, can, 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 uh, next season. Can we do the can, can, can we do a perfect ones? We, well, so we joked know, like, about yeah, doing. Let's, the, let's just find like a ding dongs match or something to do. Well, so one thing I, I, I had been talking about this with Jason Charlie, we jokingly called it the four out of tens. <laughs> <laughs> it would be like because in, in, in all seriousness, it would be like. What if there were matches that like you were really, really excited about that didn't pay off? Like, so suppose like they they do this, they it's the same, we'll use the same match as example. What if like the in-ring just really isn't any good? The backstage stuff, they really don't do a lot with the jailhouse. Like there it just kind of falls flat. You know, that would be a good candidate because it's like, man, you had you had this really intense buildup, all this heat, and it just kind of is this wet fart at the end and you're like Ugh. and i mean like a good example like definitely like a, a prime candidate brock lesnar versus goldberg at 20. absolutely like talk about a match that like heading into it you're like oh man this is going to be great and then it's not in fact it's really bad that and that, I, was, that that was the any minute now death match right it's right any minute right. now they're going to do something right Exactly. So th- you're not far off. Like there's the idea of doing the the either the four out of tens, the imperfect tens, something like that. It would be something fun to do um, like that and everything. But let me ask you, Dan, what is um? Is what's funny is like thinking about the Mountie, like his leg. It, it's funny. He would go on to still win the Intercontinental title after this. So by no means does this kill him off as a character. But and we know where the boss man would ha- boss man would be kind of nearing the end of his first run. He would come back, you know, the stuff with um uh, with the corporation stuff, really, really good stuff. Yeah, unexpectedly good stuff. But in terms of this match, like, what do you think kind of is the legacy for it? They didn't, they've never really done something like this again. You know what I mean? Like, so what do you think is kind of the legacy of the jailhouse match? I think the legacy of the jailhouse match is that it's fun. And sometimes, and especially, you know, you know, people listening to this years from now, you know, may not realize that at the time that we're recording, you know, there's a lot of bad shit going on in the world right now. And sometimes you just need things to be fun. You don't need things to be complicated. You don't need, you know, 52, you know, hammer locks and you don't need 10 Canadian destroyers. You know, sometimes you just need things to be fun. And, you know, for things to, you know, put a smile on your face for a little bit. And and the thing is, is I've been watching this match for decades since it first aired, since the first, since the night SummerSlam 91 aired live. And there has never been a time where this match hasn't caused me to smile. And I think that's the legacy of it because, you know, you needed two uniquely skilled people you know to do you know to do this 
And, you know, God bless them. You know, they both pulled it off. But, you know, like I said, you know, sometimes with wrestling, you know, we don't need a complicated, you know, year long, two year long, you know, angle. You don't need a 60 minute match. You know, you don't need some, you know, you know, ring of honor death marathon. Sometimes you just need shit to be fun. And I think that's the legacy of this is that it was just fun. And sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think I think that was something learned like a little bit with WrestleMania 36, where it was like, yeah, you guys did a show over and and God bless you. Like you went out, you went all out, you treated it like there were fans there, but there weren't. And in some ways, like I know it was supposed to be kind of a distraction. It was hard to call that mania overall a lot of fun. It was very hard because there was just I mean, there was a very obvious element missing. And that's why it's like, you know, um, I agree with you in that, like, sometimes, man, like, and I, and I have to, I have to correct myself because there are times where I get, I'm like, I'm way overthinking this, especially when we're sometimes in some of these, these matches in, in our season. And I'm like, man, I'm really overthinking this. Was this just fun or not? Did I have a good time or not? Do I need to scrutinize the, uh, the first five minutes where it was just a bunch of lockups or whatever? Like, did, was there something more to it than just like literally a move? Was there some, was there an entertainment value? beyond that so i think just sometimes like it's it's really fun to watch a match like this just because it's like yeah it's just a good time yeah good time and and like you know and like you know like we said earlier it's something it's a great introductory you know piece you know like you could take somebody you know that's never seen wrestling before and you show them this like okay it is very basics. This is what this is. It's somebody with one opinion and somebody with another opinion, and they're both going to fight it out to see who to see who's right. And there's some kind of stakes involved, you know, whether it's a you know championship or you know money or you know loser has to spend a night in jail with an early 1990s New York leather daddy. <laughs> Man, that's a hell of a way to leave it. It really is. So. <laughs> As we uh, as we're around at home, I do want to plug still a couple podcasts I've mentioned on Twitter. The um, uh, the Stranger Rings podcast they've got a three parter about the DX Resurrection reunion, the the second act or the I guess it'd be the third act of DX, maybe the fourth, but you know what I mean. In the mid two thousands, when Sean and Triple H brought back DX, they're on to their part three. Uh, they're on their third part of this um, of that series. So. Go check out Stranger Rings podcast. Also, I just listened to Last Match Standing. I finally got into that that podcast. I listened to the Triple H for Daniel Bryan, and it's fantastic. It does run very nicely parallel to what we're doing, but with a definitely a higher stakes where it's like, okay, there's 100 great matches, and they're going to go through this list all the way up through the top. So go listen to that pod as well. Last Match Standing. They've got some really, really good stuff. Dan, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, uh, everybody can find me on Twitter at Dan W. Rackley. Um, and uh, one thing about you mentioned something about the uh, Stranger Rings podcast. Uh, around the time of the uh, the DX, that last DX reunion, around the time that Shawn Michaels retired, I went to a WWE house show, me, my wife, and my son, a get this matinee show on Valentine's Day. Oh, wow. Because it was during that period in 2010 where everybody was getting snow on the, uh, on the Eastern uh, seaboard of the United States. 
and they kept delaying and postponing the show. It was originally set for February 5th, then it was set for February 9th, then we got more snow, then they finally just said, yeah, screw it, we'll do it in the afternoon on Valentine's Day. And my and my wife, God bless her, got dressed the morning of February 14th and went with me and our son to a WWF house show at the Wachovia <laughs> Center. And the 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 DX connection to this is uh, Triple H and Sean worked the first match against uh, I think it was Cody and Ted DiBiase, and uh, the DX music hits and Hunter comes out and he's looking all kinds of upset grabs the microphone and instantly goes, guys, I have something I have to tell you. The National Weather Service has just issued a warning that we're about to get about six to eight inches of snow. It is already falling outside. If anybody needs to get home, do it right now. The ticket takers will process your refunds immediately. And he puts the microphone down, no music, walks all the way up the ramp goes through the curtain and then 10 seconds later comes back out with another microphone and goes, Oh, I was just screwing with you guys. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, wow. at, uh, on, on Twitter at Dan W. Rackley. And, uh, if you don't mind, I, um, don't necessarily, you know, appear on too many podcasts and I don't necessarily do anyone cause, uh, I don't have the technical know-how, but if you don't mind, there's a, a couple of podcasts that uh, that I'd like to recommend to folks. Um, uh, there's a podcast called uh, Our Vantage Point. They do a lot of retro wrestling. Uh, they do a lot of um, uh, they review the old WWF uh, All Star Wrestling and Championship Wrestling from like '81, '82 when uh, when Strongbow was still you know kicking around and uh, Booking the Territory. They go. Um, I don't know if you heard of them. They go through the uh, NWA Saturday Night Show week by week, and oh, right nice. now they are just at the point where uh, Turner has bought the company and things are starting to go to hell. <laughs> oh wow! That I gotta check that out. I will definitely check that out. Yeah, they're they yeah yeah. Booking the Territory is amazing. Our Vantage Point is uh, amazing, and uh, but yeah, if you guys want to. You know, talk to me, say hi, or tell me that I've been completely wrong about Mark Madden all these years. I'm not. But if you want to tell me that, um, I'm at Dan at Dan W. Rackley on Twitter. And, and so next week, it's going to be I, – I am so excited for this episode um, because this it's one of those, like, I never envisioned I'd be able to do this or be able to do it with this person. Um, next Tuesday, I'm going to be recording with Scott Criscolo from the Place to Be Nation podcast. We're, we are going to be doing – a perfect 10. It's guaranteed it's going to be a Triple H match. We're not sure exactly which one yet, but I'm really excited. He is one of the reasons I got into podcasting with the shows that he and Justin have been doing for years. 10 year, I think it's 10 years at this point they've been doing wrestling pods. So Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm beyond excited to be able to do that. And it's that's what makes doing these perfect 10s a lot of fun is to be able to branch out and listen to what people think of wrestling in terms of what what is really what is not only great, but what constitutes for them, a perfect match it can always go back to. So, Dan, this has been great today. I appreciate you coming on doing the jailhouse match. You can um, you can comment to us on Twitter at New Blood Pod. We're on Facebook, New Blood Rising Podcast. I am at William Rinkin83, and we will see you all next time. Kick out! Kick out, Cactus! Goodbye, my friend. That's the goodbye.
Christmas. Thanks for the great memories, buddy. You're going to be missed, Cactus. Godspeed, Mick Foley.